from VinePairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. It is the Friday Vinepair podcast. Friday. Oh, Friday, Friday. Oh, we haven't <laughs> checked in in a while. It's been a few weeks. It's been a few weeks. Since what? Since we talked about what TV shows people are watching. <laughs> and I'm curious. I have not, as of this recording, seen The Bear. Me neither. I know we're posting a hot take. We're, we published a hot take about it, which I agree with. But I agree with it only because I agree with Tim McCurdy, but I haven't actually watched the show. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen The Bear, Zach? No. I can't say that I have. <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. Keith, have you seen it? Is it great? Excellent. <laughs> Keith's in the background. Excellent. I mean, people love it. Do you know what it's about, Zach? Uh, a, a cook? That's about yes. as much as I got. Yeah, that's yes. basically. It's, I mean, it's, it's funny, though. It just like, kind of popped up all of a sudden. Everyone's like, because it came out a, a few weeks ago, I think, or even. A, but now it's like the pre- I, I wonder if it's like it's because we're in the dog days of summer and there's not a lot of like prestige TV out there. And everyone's like, this is prestige TV. Here's the show to watch. Like, and so everyone's kind of just like glommed onto it. Yeah. You know, I was very disappointed by the Stranger Things like finale. It was like really, it was really bad. Keith doesn't want to hear it. Did Keith watch the Stranger Things finale yet? Yes. It twice. was, it was, it was really bad. I don't like, why are they going to keep it going? It's time. They should have ended it. We don't need it to keep going. These kids aren't going to be kids when they finally film the next thing. They're going to be like <laughs> geriatric shoot- nursing home people. They're shooting the next season. It's stupid. I hope it's over after this. It is. It better be. This is the, this is the penultimate season. I love that Keith's piping in. <laughs> I say, this is a hard conversation for those of us who don't can't hear Keith very well, but that's cool. True. Which yeah. Which is literally Keith, everyone to... listening to this except you two. <laughs> Keith's. I mean, Keith, we'll talk about it later, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> I just finished it last night. I like Under the Banner of Heaven. You guys watch that? No. Oh, great as well. And, but that's that's all I'm watching. What, what about is, you guys? What is that? Under the Banner of Heaven is a based on a true story. Uh, about uh, murders that happened in the 80s in Salt Lake City, Mormon murders. Okay. And it is really good. It is, is it, really good. Wasn't it a John Krakauer book? Is yes, that it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, and it's really good. Uh, Andrew Garfield is the star, and he's ah, excellent. Okay. Some of us can handle real drama. Other people, <laughs> like like our, like our like Keith, only, only do sci-fi. <laughs> what about you both, though? Anything? Um, we just finished up the last newest season of Umbrella Academy. Never seen it. I really like good show. Yeah, well, Adam's Adam's hatred of sci-fi won't uh, won't win you any points there. Come on. I love sci-fi. I just have never seen Umbrella Academy. Yeah, it's a good one. And we just started watching the most recent season of Barry. Yes, also good, but also really hard to watch. Yeah, but good so far. Yeah, Na- Naomi was saying it's hard for her to watch that, and it was hard actually for her to watch Stranger Things. With all of the gun violence now in the country, sure. and just how much the guns are romanticized in both shows, it's like been hard for her to be like, "Yeah, this feels the same." Like it is a lot of gun violence. It's a lot of gun violence in Barry, and honestly, towards the end of the this this season of Stranger Things, a lot of gun violence in this season of Stranger Things. Yeah, but it's alien, so I guess doesn't. Oh, it's the, <laughs> oh, it's the eighties. Sorry, Keith. So the eighties, we were cooler with guns. I guess that's what Keith's saying. A lot say. of people are still cool with guns. I know that's the problem. <clears throat> yeah, it's the problem. What about you, Zach? Anything? You had your, you had your. Uh, what were you watching? That was your secret, your own show, uh, The Expanse, which I'm, I'm not anywhere near right. done with because I don't get very much time to watch things. I have actually made surprising progress on it. It's uh, six seasons long, mm-hmm. and I just finished the fourth season, so we're getting nice. There. Get there. Uh, and other than that, it's watching um, Octonauts with my son, who is obsessed with them, which is actually, you know, one thing that I will say is true as someone who has had to consume some amount of kids programming lately is uh, if you pick 
well and i think we've done a pretty good job the the shows are actually pretty tolerable like they are not we've avoided i think some of the the most heinous of kids shows um at least to my way of reckoning <laughs> you um, skip teletubbies you mean Oh, I don't even is that that's probably available somewhere, but no, I mean, I was like, I think like Paw Patrol, we 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 avoided that. Oh. No Peppa Pig, none of that nonsense. Uh, no Oxon Peppa Pig. No Peppa you know, Pig. every little kid who watches Peppa Pig starts speaking in a British accent. That's yeah, just also, one reason not you know, to my watch nephew, it. he speaks in a British accent now because of Harry Potter, and he'll go, "Emma, hello, <laughs> how are you, Hermione?" <laughs> he does it, and he's like gotten really good mm-hmm. at it, and he's like three. That's amazing. I mean, it's how kids learn accents. They hear them yeah. and then they speak like that. Uh, <laughs> funny, that's how language acquisition works. Um, yes. <laughs> can, can confirm firsthand. Uh, so wait, so which one do you like? Octonauts. Okay. Octonauts. So it's uh, it's very cute, but like, you know, there are a, a variety of creatures under the sea, like helping other sea creatures. You know, it's cute, They, they but they, they're we like- We love sea creatures. Yeah. And they're like weird, real sea creatures. I mean, like, it's all like cartoon, but I mean, the sea creatures they uncover are like weird ones that even I have not heard of. But are mm. real things that exist, so it's fun. I mean, there are some obviously some like that a I have heard of, for sure. No, uh, I don't. There is a nudibranch in one of them. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't recite the entire. It's like a. There's like four seasons of it plus What's movies and stuff. But it's like I a big only slug. know what a nudibranch is because of that restaurant called nudibranch. It's a. Joanna's trying to seem all educated over here. <laughs> I mean, we all get our education where we can, guys. Yeah. Hey, by the way, if you're listening and you just fast forwarded to the wine part, that's cool. Yeah. We're here now. We're here now. <laughs> so, so speaking of our topic for today, it's about orange wine. So I just want to be clear with everybody out there in, in audio land. This shit's been around for a long time. People are acting like this is a thing all of a sudden. Like, I just, dude, orange wine has been a thing in New York for a very long time. Oh, I thought you were going to say like in the world because it has. And it also has in the world for a very long time. (laughs) It's ancient. But all of a sudden, you know, it's like the new hotness. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. And I wonder like if people who were promoting it even like 10 years ago in New York are like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) You know, it's great like Keith. But, uh, but, But I wonder what, you know, it's become really, really popular all of a sudden. Um, we have theories as to why, but before we get into those theories, uh, what are your, both of your fe- thoughts and feelings on orange wine? I like orange wine. I've had great experiences with orange wine, even up, you know up to a few years ago, where I was interested in trying something different on a menu, and it was available, and it was something I'd never had before. And actually, that makes me wonder how was marketing orange wine 10 years ago here and like what were people receptive to it because I feel like and we'll talk about this obviously but I feel like there's a new openness to orange wine maybe that didn't exist before because of the natural wine phenomenon that we've witnessed well I'm curious if Zach's okay with this Mm -hmm. hey Keith can you turn on your mic and tell us what it was like to try to sell orange wine in vino 10 years ago oh sure you gotta like (laughs) really wake up He's like, <laughs> yeah, it was hard. Uh, <laughs> but why? Yeah. What do you? What do you well, think made it hard? Well, well actually, wait, it, wait, wait. Let me ask a question. What were you? What orange wines were you trying to sell? Because I think that's a really interesting part of this too. Like what were? Yeah, what ones? Well, were? at the time, the only orange wines available were from Europe and yeah, like, like Georgia Slo- and, and Slovenia, and specifically Slovenia and Croatia and Georgia and stuff like that. But on the market, there was barely like Kabai. Well, that was really the only, Kabai was the only one because at the time, Blue Danube was an import company. It was the only import company that was selling wines from this part of the world. And I love this stuff. And my restaurant was 100% Italian. And I I decided that political borders don't matter. And, you know, Slovenia is also part of this terroir. So 
and other places like that. So I got Kabai in, and I had CV Pino. I had straight up like you, have, you had Movia. I had Movia. I had Radicon at one point, but whatever. It's too expensive and dumb. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I had uh, you had Grovner. I had Grovner, never sold it, also drank it myself, too expensive and dumb. So how did you sell it to people? So for the Kabai, I it was price point was right. So okay. Radicon and those wines are way too expensive. So mm-hmm. um, the Kabai wines were extremely affordable, and what I did is I actually had one by the glass, and then I would actually walk around my restaurant when I had them in, and i talked to the customers and helped help them. I said, this is a wine called Orange Wine. It's ancient. And this is how it's done, and it's a really great wine for food. It's like a red wine, but it's white. And they're like, what does that mean? And I would taste them on it, and I would taste them, like, I'd give them, like, a Pinot Grigio. Then I'd give them a CV Pinot, which is Pinot Grigio skin contact. Mm-hmm. And they were floored. They loved it. Everyone always loved orange wine. They were, I mean, specifically, it was Kabai, but, like, it was such a well-balanced wine that people loved it. But when they left my restaurant, I don't think they seeked it out and they couldn't really find it wasn't everywhere else yeah Yeah. so it was just it it was a tough sell but it's just so weird that now i mean you can't it's everywhere i went to a wine shop yesterday because we did a a wine class and i was picking up sauvignon blancs and they have an orange wine section i've never seen an orange wines orange wine section in a wine shop isn't there at least one wine shop in new york that's only orange wine i feel like i saw a press release it's called skin contact it's downtown well there's skin contact but there there's a place called amber right or no okay there's a couple now orange glue Orange glue, yeah, that's right. Okay, I'll, I'll just mute myself now. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Keith. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, I, it's it's you know it's funny because I remember being introduced to orange wine through Keith, really enjoying it, but not seeing it that often, mm-hmm. right? And so then it, it almost felt like it was a because you had Anfora in the West Village, which was Joe Campanale's spot. Right. Um. You know, God, he made two two podcasts in a row. We're talking about Joe Campanale. What's <laughs> up, Joe? Um. You know, but like. He he had this you know wine bar that he doesn't own anymore, but he was like one of the early evangelists. Keith was really up on it. You know you had people like um, Patrick who owns who owns Ruffian, who was one of the early bar managers there. Who now Ruffian? I mean Ruffian still has an, you know a lot of orange wine. They were like some OG people really pushing orange wine in New York, but it wasn't pervasive. And so then you would you know go to other places and it wasn't on the list. Now I mean it's crazy. Most restaurants I go to they put it in their rosé section. It'll yeah. say like orange and pink or you know skin contact. You know and it it's really really crazy that that's what exists now like last night when i was at dinner at this restaurant the wine list was like whites skin contact red yeah it was really and it this was like a new american spot you know it's really really crazy and i i the only thing that i can explain by it is natural wine that's the only way i can explain its rise yeah but they're so different well yeah they are so different i think but so, well, uh, well, at least some, some, so some many of the they. orange wines that i drank to be fair, were much cleaner. Right. They were not funky wines. There's just another ancient method. Well, I mean, I would say that, like, it's not even, I think, well, gosh, where to start here? I think there's a couple of things that have happened that have that have helped propel orange wine. I think one of them is undeniably that the natural wine movement, whether or not you are a, an enthusiast of it, has, generally speaking, opened people's you know, sort of minds, I guess, to wines whose flavors are not what people typically think of. And I think 
for orange wine to land with people, they have to be kind of willing to take that chance. And whether it's, you know, doing what Keith described, which I've done in in restaurants too, which is, you know, just pour people taste and be like, here, try Mm -hmm. this. And, and that works. Or, you know, just again, an openness to it and people are excited about it. I also think that one thing that works for a lot of orange wines and has the reason why so many of the things you've described, uh, Adam, some of the places were, you know, a natural landing point for people, restaurants, wine bars, stuff like that, is that a lot of these wines go really well with a, a really wide array of foods. They're extremely food friendly because they're so savory. Um, they don't rely on fruit character much to carry the flavor of the wine. And that it makes them both, I think, very useful as a pairing tool, but also the kind of wine that is going to connect to pe- for people in a restaurant, but might they might struggle with at home or they might not think to pick up because it isn't for a lot of people, you know, still in this country, they don't think about buying wine solely as something to have with food. They think about drinking a glass of wine when they get off work or thinking about having a glass of wine, you know, after dinner when they're watching a, one of the many shows we discussed or all the other ones out there. And it's not that unless you have a developed kind of taste for these wines, they might not pop to you in that setting, but they will at the table with a wide range of foods. I think the last piece of this that I will add is I think they, and you kind of hinted at this, Adam, when you were talking about how you've seen some of these wines categorized in shops and in wine lists is they have, they're sort of a like post rosé thing. Like Mm -hmm. obviously rosé is still extremely popular, but for someone who was like, you know, I guess kind of enjoyed the trendiness of rosé and is now like, well, everyone drinks rosé, hopping over to some other category, which isn't really related other than that it's an un, you know unusual color and it's sort of... The, That's it's not more like the, white. Right. Yeah, it's like yeah. the inverse of of rosé. It's, it's a white wine made like a red wine as opposed to a red wine made like a white wine. But it does give someone something to feel like they're ahead of trend and you're like, I like orange wine in the same way that five years ago, maybe you're like, I like pink wine. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what other colors we can add to that uh, spectrum. Probably not very many, but I do think that's a part of it too. But yes, the idea of natural wine is something that allowed people to, you know, not kind of, you know, just stray outside of their their pre-existing comfort zone has undeniably given legs to this category. Yeah. I think that's right. I was, um, I remember I was um, in London uh, maybe five or six years ago with my mom and we were at Otolenghi, um, one of his restaurants, mm. and they had on their wine list, uh, they had the red section and they had the white section and they had the colorblind section, which I thought was kind of interesting, kind of weird to think about now, but but there were orange wines in that section and we got one because I think I will sooner order a bottle of orange wine for people like my parents or my friends who aren't into natural wine um, Mm -hmm. because I know more reliably that it'll be something that they can enjoy versus ordering something that's like a natural wine, which could be funky and could be very different to a palate that's not accustomed to it. Or, you know, I, I think I tell this story all the time, but one time I ordered a bottle of natural wine for my friend and I, and uh, she was like, this wine is I think this wine is spoiled like it's bad because it was like funky like yeah, that yeah. kind of wine mm-hmm. um but i think to your earlier point zach like orange wine is really wonderful in that way um and i think m- a lot of people don't know about mm-hmm. it but it's one that can bring a lot of people into the category yeah well, and when you see it go into the glass you know okay I'm, I'm in for something different right right you can't get poured this and be like what do you mean this isn't white wine? Like, even if you have no frame of reference for wine other than knowing that, like, whites, rosés, and red wines exist, this is none of those. And so you're going to perhaps come at it with a more open mind because it doesn't look like wine you're familiar with. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, so I think, you know, one of the things that's really interesting for me is if you think about maybe why it didn't pop off 10 years ago, like we're talking about Rosé, right? So Rosé really hadn't, it was just starting, right? So like it was competing against Rosé, right? You had this like, and so Rosé was much was the much easier sell at that time, you know? So, okay, cool. We're, we're kind of in this world of like a red wine sort of made like a white, but with a little bit of skin contact. So keep it, you know, beautiful, all that stuff. So you had that. Then for like the hip kids, they got, they found pet nat first. Okay. And so pet nat was like the, the sparkling wine. Cause we all love bubbles, but like, this is ancient bro. So like, you know, we're going to be on that pet nat kick. Pet nat came first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of, I think, being everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like, and then we started seeing all over the place, especially just in, again, cities, right? Let's let's recognize that the majority of America probably still doesn't have a lot of, like, you know, just all over the place doesn't have pet nat. Like, sure. pet nat for sure is in all the top restaurants, even in cities. I'm going to pick on it because it's Alabama, but like Birmingham, all the great restaurants there definitely have pet nats. Okay. But like, you're not going to find a pet nat in Auburn where I'm from. Like maybe one restaurant, but like they're still just doing champagnes and proseccos and stuff, which is fine. Mm-hmm. It's just like, but in all the big urban centers, Pet Nat came first, and there was all these, you know, sparkling sections. And now I think people have been like, oh, I know what Pet Nat is. Then you know, you have Piquet try to be in that sp- space, but everyone's like, Piquet sucks. Like, why are we trying to make Piquet happen? Like, you know, it's funny. Even upstairs, some of we had some Piquet sent to us, and a few of our colleagues were like. Oh yeah, I don't like Piquet. Like it's just it's no one really it, no one's into it. I don't it. think it caught on. Didn't catch on, right? Yeah. People tried to make it happen, it didn't happen, and then I think everyone was like, okay, well, I guess we got to come back to orange wine, and that's what happens. Everyone like came back to it, mm-hmm. and it became this thing that was like it is different enough that it feels special and cool, but yeah, but it does it's not com- it's not doesn't cause you to like have to learn a new grape and say that grape. Like it's not like everyone's now drinking Zito Mavro. Right, that's not it's mm-hmm. not happening. Right, a lot of people should be drinking Zeno Mavro, but we can't remember the name, et cetera. But we can all drink a wide category of orange wine. Categories have a lot easier of a time, I think, really becoming very popular in, amongst American consumers than just like one specific grape varietal, et cetera. And then natural wine as an idea sounds good because it's natural. Right. But as we're all saying, natural has so much you know, loosely defined stuff to it that like we're so it's like playing Russian roulette. Like you might get a really bad bottle and then just be very upset, which for the most mm-hmm. part that doesn't seem to happen with orange wine. And right. so people are really into it and it makes you feel cool and different. And like you're up on the trend without, you know, having to really challenge what could be a bad bottle but I think that's, it took so long because there was other stuff that was easier to get into first. Maybe and, now so. this, and now it's its time. Yeah, I think the natural, I think natural wine paved the way for orange wine to have its moment right now. Yeah. And I think maybe enough people got burned by gross natural wine that they're like, okay, orange wine is actually good. Yeah. Which is crazy because like, again, it's just, it, people have been doing it for a while. What's What's really interesting now about it though is that you now have this whole camp of people Again, it's just the bubble. But I, I don't know if you're hearing this as well in Seattle, Zach, but like now that it's become popular, there's this whole camp of people who are like, I only drink orange wine from the places where it's always been made. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I'm hearing that now. <laughs> like, I only drink orange wine from the countries from and from places that have always made orange wine. I don't think it should, we should be making orange wine in Paso. Seriously. 
because it's like they're purists. Yeah, purists. And, you know, that this is like, look, we're always going to, there's always going to be a, a, a gross part of wine. <laughs> like a part of like, they're just like people that are like, oh, you know, it's like the same people are like, I only drink indigenous varietals now. I'm like, okay, good for you. That's more like delicious shit for me. Um, but like, I really feel like you're seeing this a little bit of blowback again for the same reasons. But we happen to have an orange wine, not from a traditional region. We're all going to drink an orange wine from Paso. California. Uh, Zach, as well as Joanne and I here in the studio, have a bottle called Skins by Field Recordings, who are a very cool producer from Paso. Have you, have you had this wine before? Oh, ours is 2020, Zach. What's yours? Same. Cool. Have you had this before? Uh, not this wine, no. I have. I have as well. I really mm. like it. I um, like Field Recordings. You've had, have you had other Field Recordings, Zach? I think I have tried a couple of the other wines, but not the Skins. Ooh, it pours quite. So that's the other thing too is, you know, early in like in the early aughts and then the, you know, two thousand around 2010 or whatever, I really noticed that a lot of people actually weren't calling it orange wine. Mm-hmm. They were calling it amber wine. Yeah. And the, well, I think everyone was trying to figure out what term they could use that would get people to try it. And right. Orange wine has stuck the best. Yes. And actually I prefer it to skin contact because skin contact is such a, an ill-defined, like it's hard to explain to people and like, you know, okay, what define how much skin contact are we actually talking about here? Because obviously there's a huge range. And whereas when you describe the color of the wine in the glass, I think it's a lot more like like comprehensible to the average person. Mm-hmm. So like it looks orange. That's a good way to describe it. This is people. very amber. Yes. In color. Uh so this is forty one percent Chenin Blanc, twenty thirty seven percent Pinot Gris, nine percent Albarino, eight percent Verdejo, five percent Riesling. Um and yeah, so it's obviously skin fermented. Um, so it says, I'm trying to see if there's any other light chill, infinite number of possible pairings, 12.1% alcohol. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's taste it. It smells great. So what mm-hmm. I'm what I'm curious about, what I want to ask you guys about that I was thinking about in this in the vein of this conversation is so in addition to sort of talking about why like why this uh, style has become popular and you know sort of talking about how i think it's particularly versatile at the table i'm also wondering if there's going to be any sort of um like sort of trickle down benefits to other categories and the one in particular i'm thinking of and i know adam you're already pre-rolling your eyes at me is sherry because one of the big barriers for sherry especially like some of the oxidative styles like oloroso sherry has been that there's been no context for those wines in the american palate like they are nutty and weird and dry and people don't really know what to do with them but honestly if you like orange wine you'll probably like oloroso sherry for the most part not that it's going to suddenly become this huge category but it's it is a thing that i think about a lot when i think about this this category and whether it would be if, if it's ever going to have a chance, it would seem to be in the wake of of orange wine becoming more and more popular. Uh... <laughs> yeah, OK. We know your feelings about sherry. I, Joanna, I love I sherry. I just think here. it's going to be hard. You think that orange wine can pave the way for sherry? Well, for especially like the like Oloroso style, right, like, right. An, like an oxidative, nuttier style that's not that's dry. That's not a that's not a, you know. The dessert sherry, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think There's just maybe, a lot of flavor crossover. Maybe we'll continue to see it um, popping up in cocktails and cocktail menus, but I don't know on its own. 
But that's not what I mean. I don't mean as a component in a drink. I, I mean as a <laughs> wine that people drink. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I'm so. Trying. I don't think so. I feel like to But if people want to drink wine from the places that it's originally from, Adam. Right. What Look, more what more authentic than sherry? Make make you know what? Never say never. Sure. But <laughs> we got people out there listening taking notes. I can hear you. <laughs> Yeah, never say never, but I just think it's going to be much harder than other stuff. But we'll see. I but think, I like this I wine like, a lot. I like this wine a lot. Too. Yeah, man. Thanks, Field Recordings. Thing that this wine does does really well, too, is like, and I think this is where we almost come back to some of the conversation about natural wine, even if it's not a stylistic thing in terms of the wine, is it's also like the label is really well done. It's got yeah. a design aesthetic that makes it stand out. It is, and it's a thing that like connects it to a lot of other trends in beverage and design generally i think and that's where the the sort of even if orange wine has been in you know popular or at least you know known in new york for a while and obviously has been made globally for you know millennia what makes it pop now too is like it it can connect to the trend because it is a way of making wine it's not a single variety it's not a one place kind of thing. And so you can be a producer in Paso or wherever, and you can say, okay, I have this idea. I want to make this wine. I think I can make the wine well, and I can center my design around, you know, an aesthetic that works for people and that is going to be compelling to them. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way about, um, Kabai, right? Yeah. Similarly appealing. Yes. Very much similarly appealing. And I think people will be like, oh yeah, I'm down with this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do agree with what you're saying, Zach, where, I mean, I find this very tasty on its own, but it definitely is better with food. Mm. The tannins are much more aggressive than you would expect for a white, right? Which is because it's an orange, right? Which I think you know people will get used to. But yeah, I also think the 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 label is really incredible, and it's funny. I was um, walking through. This Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and there was this like very trendy restaurant that was closed. We kind of looked in, and behind the on the bar on the back bar was just skin, 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 skins, <laughs> and you could see. I mean, it was closed it was during the day, right? They probably only went for dinner. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's that's cool. And like the fact that the label looks so cool is why the restaurant then wants to put it up on the back bar and, and really display it because mm-hmm. they did. So it wasn't like it was like one of twenty wines back there. That was the wine on the bar, and then they had all liquor bottles, and it's because it looks cool. Yeah. Do you think Smart. our friends at Stems and Skins are, like, contractually obligated to have this wine on the list at all times? <laughs> Who knows? Probably. Um, if you have an orange wine you love, hit us up. Podcast.vinepair.com. Let us know. If you make an orange wine and you want us to try it, hit us up. Podcast.vinepair.com. Love to check it out. And uh, I'll talk to you both on Monday. Have a great weekend. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vine Pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.